Right, I want to welcome all of our campuses to the fourth week of our series entitled Extraordinary Living. Come on, can we just welcome all those that are joining us, those that are online as well. We're so honored to have all of you with us. So we're in a six-week series. We're looking at the book of James, one of my favorite books in the New Testament. And in the book of James, we're learning how to, watch us fight the drift and how to live an extraordinary life. Now, let me just say this. I, I grew up here in South Louisiana, and I remember as a kid, and I'll ask for a show of hands. I know we've got people watching all over the place, but, but for our campuses in South Louisiana, how many of y'all went tubing as a kid in Tickfall? Come on, anybody? I, I know a lot at our Little Creek campus and maybe Baton Rouge, but we, we, I, I used to do that all the time as a, as a kid. And, and it's interesting. You know, you just kind of get on your tube, and you get rolling, you know, and there's one particular point. Now, I know it may have changed. I know they've changed, who knows, you know, different groups, but there was one particular point that I remember that the kind of the guy that was, you know, kind of leading the thing said, when you get to this point, you just kind of let yourself go. When you get to this point, though, stop, get out of the tube, and bring it over here, because if not, that thing's going to drift, and it's going to go right into a bad spot. So in other words, you got to stop, get out of the tube, walk against the current, reposition it, because if not, you're going to float and go right with the, right with the current, and you're going to end up in a bad spot. And I thought to myself, that is exactly what James is trying to tell this first century church and us today. Here's the thing. Culture will just kind of take you, and before you know it, you just kind of go, but if you don't stop... Go against the current and reposition yourself. How many know you're going to end up in some not-so-good places? How many are grateful for the Word of God? Hey, hey, listen. Everybody say, fight the drift. Come on, say it. This whole series has been about learning how to fight the drift. Think about the last three years where people are, man. They've just got out of the routine of maybe even pursuing God, church, connection. And so what this whole series is about is learning how to fight the drift. Today, I want to talk to you with a message entitled Extraordinary Perspective. Extraordinary Perspective. James chapter 3, if you have your Bible, turn to verse 13. Here's what the writer says. Who is wise? We're talking a lot about wisdom today. Who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. You know, it's interesting. If you define wisdom, the dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern what is right or true. Now, the biblical concept of wisdom is, is a little bit larger than that, particularly the Hebrew concept. The biblical concept of wisdom actually differentiates between, watch this, knowledge. Oftentimes we couple them together. Man, that person's wise. And you may have talked to them, and it's because maybe they knew some facts. There is a difference biblically between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is having facts, accumulating information. Wisdom is the ability to apply knowledge. You can have a lot of knowledge, but lack wisdom. In other words, you can know what to do in a relationship, but do it in the wrong time. And how many of you know that's not wisdom? 
Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many are married, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Or you're in a relationship. You know what to do, but it's like you miss the timing. I mean, you know, timing is about wisdom. I, it's funny. I was reading this thing actually this week and to give a differentiation between knowledge and wisdom. Here it is. You guys ready? Here it is. This is profound. This is deep theology. All right? Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. But wait, but wait, it gets better. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Come on, can I have a big amen? Don't be putting tomatoes up in my fruit salad. That's not God's plan for our lives. Okay. All right, if you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to the book of James. But, but, but before I jump into James chapter 3, I, I want to just share something. I think this is so important. You know, the question often is this. Well, uh, how, how, how do you get wisdom? I believe there's a lost term in our culture. I want to almost call it a lost art, and I, and I truly believe that. But here's the term. You guys ready? Here it is. The fear of the Lord. Now, now I remember as a kid, we used to hear about that all the time. Like in our culture, you don't, you don't hear about the fear of the Lord. But the Bible is very clear. Where do you begin, watch this, to have true wisdom? Well, the Bible's clear. Psalms 111, verse 10. Here's what the Bible says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I know what some people think. Wait, Pastor, time out, time out, time out. You do series, six steps to overcoming fear. The fear of failure, right? The fear of not stepping out. All these, I mean, come on, Pastor. You, you do series. I remember I, I did one years ago, no fear. I used to do, I, I think I've done three different series in the last 23 years on, you know, overcoming fear. By the way, I've taught you guys this. Fear is both a spirit God has not given us a spirit, a pneuma, a spirit of fear. So fear is a spirit. Fear is also a negative mindset. So I teach you guys. I teach the word. I do series on how to overcome fear, do it afraid. But there's one fear that we read about in the Bible. It's actually not a negative. It's actually a positive. And it's the fear of the Lord. And the Bible says it's the fear of the Lord. In other words, what does it mean to fear the Lord? Deuteronomy, I'm going to read this scripture, really powerful scripture. Deuteronomy 5.29, oh, that they would have a heart in them. In other words, that they would possess this heart. What heart? That they would fear me and keep my commandments and that it might be, watch this, the outcome of the fear of the Lord. You, you show me a family that walks in the fear of the Lord. You show me a man or a woman. Look what the Bible says. That it might be well with them and their children forever. Isn't that powerful? There's benefits to fearing the Lord. That your house, that your home, we fear the Lord. And, and if I can break this down, to fear the Lord in practical terms simply means that your first blink in making a decision is always to say, what does God say about it? Not, not what do you want, not what feels right, but what does God say? Everybody, would you just repeat after me, all of our locations, I'm going to just say that. Say, what does God say about it? What does God say about it? Not, not, not what culture says, not what some podcast says, not what somebody on the news says, but what does God say about it? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is powerful. To fear God doesn't mean that we don't trust God because his nature is unpredictable. Yeah, I'll wake God up, man, on a Sunday afternoon nap. Man, he'll get after you. No, 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 no. 
And maybe you grew up in a home where maybe a parent was harsh and demeaning and you think, yeah, man, I don't ever, pastor, I don't like associating God with anything related to fear. But you've looked at it through human lens. The fear of the Lord is not that we don't trust God because God is angry and unpredictable. The fear of the Lord is we reverence God because he is God and we are not. That God is God and we are not. By the way, he is the creator. We are the, we, listen, he's the manufacturer. We are the products and we ask him how life should work best. It's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, it's, it's clean. The fear of the Lord, it's the beginning of wisdom. I, um, I remember reading one time about Martin Luther, the great reformer, before he was converted and gave his heart to Christ. He almost hated God. He's like, man, God just mean God. But then when he was converted, he realized that God is not only the righteous judge, but he's also the compassionate father. He's also a loving father, and by the way, who is pursuing you. By the way, I love what Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 8. This is so powerful. If God is for you, who can be against you? So when you fear the Lord, you don't have to be scared of God, that God is, listen, God's going to be woken up from a nap. He's going to just, no, no, you got to know something. God is God and we are not, and God has all the answers to your problems. God is for you. God's not against you, and he's strong enough to help you. I, um, I had some great coaches that I played for. I, I talk often about J.T. Curtis, and I had the privilege, and I call it a privilege, of playing football for him. And I loved Coach. We knew he loved us. We knew he cared about us, but we respected him. We weren't the coach, and we ran the plays. I wonder how much heartache we have in our lives because we've lost respect for God. He loves us. He cares about us, but we've got to run the plays. If you have your Bible, James chapter 3, I want to talk to you today about extraordinary perspective. Extraordinary perspective. James is writing to a church, his first century church that had been both scattered geographically, but they're also drifting spiritually. And it's almost like he's trying to get them back on track. Get them back on course. As you are scattering to different parts of the Near Eastern world and around the Mediterranean, maybe some of you that are now in Corinth and and, and, and you're over in Greece in different parts. Remember this. Remember this, James is trying to say. There, there's a difference between God's wisdom and man's wisdom. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. You show me a godly person, somebody that lives in the wisdom of God. There's an outworking to their life. They understand life from God's perspective. There, there's, a, there's a wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom, here's the contrast. This wisdom does not descend from above, but this wisdom is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Wow. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and everything evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from, from above, earthly, bad. From above, pure. What a contrast. The wisdom that's from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. 
without partiality, without hypocrisy. There's a connection, a tight connection between belief and behavior. Now, the fruits or the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. There could not be a clearer contrast than all the Bible. James is clearly delineating, you, you have to see this, between God's wisdom and man's wisdom, heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. I mean, there is a clear line of demarcation between the two. It's like, it's not even close. There's a wisdom that comes from above, and there's a wisdom that comes up from the earth below. And James says, when you begin to walk in my, God's wisdom, when, when you begin to live out God's wisdom, matter of fact, I want to talk to you today about the source of wisdom. Where is your source? Where are you getting life's instructions? Who's helping you in your marriage? Who's helping you with your kids? Who's helping you in your resources, on the job, leading your team? Who is speaking into you about culture? Where is the source? What is your posture? And then what is the outcome? There are only two types of wisdom. You know, when you go to the Superdome and you'll see those games and you'll see like the shell game. You guys know the shell. You know, like where's the shell? Where's the ball under the shell? And you'll see that there, there, there's actually, there's not, there's not this shell game. There's not three choices. There's only two. How are you living your life? Are you living it according to God's wisdom or man's wisdom? It's real clear. All right, here we go. You guys ready? Three people. Are y'all, three people, are y'all ready to jump into God's word? Come on, how many y'all excited? All right, I'm just checking, making sure I'm talking to the right group. I know some of y'all are just going, whoa, this is heavy. Well, it's the Bible. You ought to read it sometimes. It'll really help you out. All right, here we go. Two types of wisdom. Number one, true wisdom. What's the source? What's the source of true wisdom? James chapter three, verse 17. But the wisdom... That is from above. There's wisdom that comes up from the earth. And there's wisdom that comes down from heaven. The wisdom that is from above. James is drawing a distinction. God's wisdom and worldly wisdom. The wisdom that comes from the word of God. The wisdom that comes from the spirit of God. The wisdom that comes from godly counsel. Or earthly wisdom. It's interesting as James begins to explain the difference between the two. One of the things that immediately comes to my mind is when somebody asks, well, Pastor Steve, how, how do I know if I'm living in God's wisdom or man's wisdom? I'd like to suggest to you that a person that is living in God's wisdom routinely, routinely asks this question. It's part of their common vernacular. It's part of their language. It's, it's part of their words. They, they say it. It's, it's not every now and They're not a casual inquirer. They're not every now and then drop by. But this is part and parcel of their daily vocabulary. And here it is. Here's the term. When you are posed with a question, when you're faced with an obstacle, when you have a situation that you walk into, watch this. Do you routinely say, what does God say about this? What does God say about relationships? What does God say about raising kids? What, what does God say about money? What does God say about my future? What does God say about sex? What does God say about morality? What does God say about whatever? What does God say about culture? What does God say about our future? In other words, 
Can, can we just practice that? Because it is so powerful. We're talking about living from God's perspective or man's perspective, heavenly perspective or earthly. All right, here is what should be part of our speech on a daily basis. All right, you guys ready? Here it is. What does God say about this? All right, you guys ready? Here it is. We're going to do it at the count of three. You guys ready? One, two, three. What does God say about this? If we said that often, if we asked that question, what does God say about what? About everything. I think that we have lived with such a malaise, such a, such a cloud over us at times because we've drawn upon sources that have not helped us. We've discounted. How how many people have discounted God's opinion, God's word? They're they're attempting to live life from their own perspective, but not from God's perspective. And yet, God is the creator and with the creation. Don't you think that the creator knows how life should work best? And yet, people are listening to lots of voices. There's more podcasts. There's more interviews. There's more books. There's more information. We, We live in an information overload, don't we? I mean, just think of what's coming at you every day. And I mean at you. It's just, it's just coming at you. And yet, the question is, how often, and I'm asking you this as your pastor, how often do you test what you hear? John the Apostle says in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Whether they're of God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. Let me just tell you one of the greatest compliments I think that a, a pastor, a preacher can get. is somebody that's in the church that walks out and says, Pastor, that was good, but I'm going to go home and I'm going to check that out. By the way, every message that I teach, you should go home and weigh it against the word. You should be an Acts 17. You should be a noble Berean. You, you should be somebody that searches the word and measures the word. Why? Because you should test whatever you hear. Is that line up with what God says? Is that contradict the word of God, the revealed word of God, the infallible word of God, the inspired word of God? Does this social commentator, does this podcast, does this undermine scripture? Does this undermine what God teaches clearly in his word? John says there's many false prophets. There's many false words and ideologies and philosophies that are out there. We need to test the source. Uh, A number of years ago, my wife and I, our kids grew up when they were young in Mandeville. When the boys were in high school, we went out and we moved into what we'd call the country. Some of you may not, but it was a little bit above. And we, we, we had something that it, we'd never experienced before. And um, one, one day, we'd probably over about a two or three week period of time, we'd start feeling just a little bit queasy, just a little bit. And we had a neighbor that said, said Steve, what you guys probably ought to do is you probably ought to have a person come out and check out your well. My what? Your well. Oh, okay, my well. Sure enough. And so they gave me a number. We had a, we had a person come out, a well person. They have well people. <laughs> I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah. I just like, turn it on, and it works. Okay. But there's like well people. And this person came out and ran some tests, and, and we found out that we had a, a dangerous level of bacteria in our well. Of course, they were able to clear it up and over a period of time. And so, and, and what I realized, and, 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 and I remember, I remember my, my neighbor said, he said, Steve, make sure to check your source. I'd like to say to you as your pastor, every campus, 
Make sure to check your source. What is feeding your source? What are you drinking out of? Just because something is in a Christian section in a bookstore doesn't mean that it lines up with the Word of God. Check your source. That was good preaching, by the way. Check your source. What's the posture of wisdom? Verse 13, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. You show me somebody that's walking in the wisdom of God, there's a humility, there's a productivity. I'm not suggesting at all that somebody that's walking with God and walking in God's wisdom, they just walk around, they don't, they're not leaders. No, no, no. But there's a gracefulness, there's a power, there's a godly productivity. They're living life from God's perspective. It's powerful. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, therefore humble yourselves under the hand of Almighty God, that he may exalt you in due time. You show me somebody living with God's wisdom from God's perspective. I'll show you somebody that's adding value to their customers. They're adding value and they're serving their employees. They're honoring those in authority. In other words, there's something about somebody living life from God's perspective. They're, they're a better employer. They're a better employee. They're a better husband, a better wife. Why? Because you're living life from God's perspective. They're not walking around arrogant, proud, drawing attention to themselves inordinately, scared, scared that people are going to take what they have, and they're lined up with rocket missiles to kill anybody they get. No, there's a confidence. They recognize that God is an abundant God. They live in the authority of God and the favor of God, and they can serve other people. There's something about living in God's wisdom. God's wisdom, God's power. I, I had the privilege this week of being with what I would call a, a real general in the faith, just a giant. Uh, Tommy Barnett, he's preaching our church multiple times. He's been a mentor of mine for many, many years and, and um, pastored a great church in Phoenix for many, many, many years. And He's 85. He's also the co-founder of the Dream Center. And uh, he and his son, and really he was the founder and has put his son to be the pastor in it. I'm telling you, this guy is a giant of faith, 85 years old, and he preached. I had a, a group of about 50 pastors. We do a thing every year. And I asked him to be our guest speaker, and he spoke, and it was just powerful. He has started 250 dream centers around the world. They, have a, they bought a hospital in Los Angeles. They house a 1,000 people live in the hospital, it's not a hospital anymore, it's called the Dream Center. They, and many have gotten off of drugs, out of homelessness, they've been, they've, been, they've been taught job training, life skills, and I mean, we're talking about a giant of the faith. And when you get around him, he's more patient and kind and serve you and tell me about what God's doing in your heart. Let me tell you something, great people that do great things, that should not be synonymous with being a jerk. That was good preaching right there. You can be kind, you can be gracious, you can be anointed, you can build big businesses, you can build great things, and still, listen, walk in the wisdom of Christ and the gentleness of Christ and value people and love people. Verse 17, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy. Ask yourself, are these characteristics in your life? Are these qualities in my life, in our lives, willing to yield? When was the last time you were willing to yield in a conversation? Full of mercy, giving people another chance. Wow, good fruits, productivity, without partiality, without hypocrisy. 
Look at verse 18. Now the, I love this. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I, I want to be that person. How about you? I, I want to be, so, be somebody that lives from the wisdom of heaven. They, they live, they, they constantly and consistently ask this question. What does God say about it? What does God say about this decision? What, is there anything in the Bible that speaks to this particular issue about my life, about my relationships, about this conflict I have, uh, uh, about this entanglement that I'm in, does God speak about? Because if God speaks, I want to draw upon God's voice, God's word, and God's wisdom. That's wisdom that comes from above. Now, let me give you the contrast. By the way, I want to say this as an upfront caveat. I'm so glad that God said this, these next few verses, and I'm simply commenting on what he said. Because there is a plumb line in scripture. Boom! God's way, man's way. There's like no neutral zone. There's no neutral ground. It's real clear. Here it is. You guys ready? Everybody say false wisdom. Verse 15. What's the source of false wisdom? Remember, check it out. Check out your source. Are you sick today because you're drinking the wrong thing and eating the wrong thing? Verse 15. This wisdom does not descend from above. But it's earthly, watch the downward progression. It's earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. Wow. James is telling this first century church as well as us that false wisdom, where it comes from, it's not from heaven. It doesn't come down, it comes up. God's wisdom comes down. God's word, God's spirit, God's way of doing things. God, but this wisdom, James says, it comes up. And there's three terms that we often use, and these are the actual, where the terms come from. The world, that's earthly. The flesh, that's sensual. And the devil, that's demonic. The world, the flesh, the devil. Earthly, sensual, and demonic. There's a downward progression. When an individual says, I push God out of my life. I don't want to do it God's way. I want to do my own thing. Let me tell you something. Whether you like Frank Sinatra or not, that song was not a good song. I'll do it my way. That's not wisdom according to the Bible. That's not wisdom. And that's not a judgment on him. And I have no idea where his soul is. God is his judge. But I will tell you this. We better do it God's way. Because our way doesn't lead to good ways. That's good preaching, Pastor. Thank you so much. Everybody say false wisdom. False wisdom is rooted in the world's philosophies or our own fleshly desires or demonic influence. Demonic influences. There is, and I know this may be kind of freaky for some of you that are new to Christianity. There's like a real devil. There's a real God and there's a real devil. There's real demon spirits. And by the way, that influence thought processes. And I think inspire man-made, man-centered philosophies. Ideologies, philosophies. That's why Paul talks a lot about guarding your mind. Guard your mind. Guard your mind. Why? What does he say? Guide your... The Bible talks about guarding your ear gate and your eye gate. Why? What are you, what are you drinking? What are you putting into you? Let me give you a teaching that, that circles... 
And I read about it in a Christian, and I, and I, I saw multiple books that espouse this recently in a Christian section in a bookstore, and it's universalism. I've been a Christian for over three decades. Universalism is basically means that while Christianity may be a way to God, there's other ways to God. And there's other ways to God. Not according to the Bible. Not according to Jesus. And I know where it comes from. People don't want to be offensive to anybody. I mean, who really wants, if somebody at work asks you say, so you're a Christian. Do you believe there's any other ways to God? I mean, who wants to go, well, I mean, but, but yet we, if we're convicted by the word of God, Jesus said this. Here's what Jesus said. This is in red. The gospel of John. Jesus said this. I am the way. I am the way. All right. I am, the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. Everyone say no one. Okay, now this is the words of Jesus. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that doesn't leave us a lot of options. So there is a recycling of universalism right now. And, it's, and there's even a stream of it going through the church. And here's, I even heard one guy say, well, you know what? Christianity is a good way. And he even said, it's my preferred way. But it's not the only way. According to the Bible, and here's the reason why. If you believe there's other ways, guess what? That you believe that you can get to heaven through your own good works and not through the blood of Christ. I'm so grateful that I, it wasn't, and listen, I'm so grateful it's not my works, it's the work of Christ. I'm so grateful that I was dead in sin. Christ saved me, forgave me, restored me. I couldn't do it. Christ did it. Pastor, you're passionate about it. Yes, I'm passionate about it. The Apostle Paul echoes James' concern about false wisdom in Colossians 2, verse 8. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, that's leaving God out. That's a person that's left God out. That's a group that le you've left God out. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of, of the world, watch this, watch this. Not according to Christ. Not according to heavenly wisdom, earthly wisdom. Where does it end? Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Wow. 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 Guys, we, we live in a time where it is, it's becoming so clear. God's way or man's way. And man is... I mean, they're changing the rules every day, aren't they? Every day it's something different. Well, this used to be good, now it's bad. That was bad, now it's good. Milk's good for you, don't drink it. No, it'll kill you. Don't do that. It's like it changes. Why? Because man, remember the progression, earthly, sensual. And by the way, man's wisdom always ends up in sensuality. Because when you, when you reject God... When you reject God, you reject morality, you reject God making you in the image. Let me tell you, we're made in the image of God. Listen, when you reject God, it's earthly. Everybody say earthly. Okay, this is the Bible. This is the Bible said this, not Pastor Steve, the Bible. Then it goes to sensual. What is sensuality? Sensuality is when you are dominated and controlled by your five senses. So in other words, if it feels good, it must be right. Yeah, but there's things that God says that don't feel good, but they are right. How many know it doesn't feel good to forgive somebody, but it's right? It's right. 
But man, if, if, they, if, they, if they kick God out, it goes, from, it goes from earthly wisdom to sensuality. But ultimately, you open yourself up to the demonic. You open yourself up to, to, to demon spirits that want to architect the world for you apart from Christ. Think about that. I, our, our, our culture with sex. I mean, you just you do whatever you want, and it, there's no boundary, there's no rules, there's no you just do whatever. Well, I tell you, the problem is in our culture. The problem is it's, it's those Christians. We just get rid of the Bible. Can't talk about the Bible. Don't let the, the Bible. And first, by the way, this goes all the way back to the garden. Did God really say? Once you go to that, it's well, God really said so. It's in drug. God really well. Then we'll take the Bible out. Would you, by the way, Adolf Hitler did that too. Burn the Bibles. Get rid of the Bibles. Get rid of truth. We'll just so we can just be liberated. Do whatever we want because it feels good. The problem is you can burn every Bible. You can do all that, but you can't run from your conscience. You're made in the image of God. You have a moral conscience. Let me tell you, culture says. Get God out. God says, come to me. Let me tell you how God deals with sexual sin. Come to me. I'll forgive you of sexual sin. I'll restore you. I'll cleanse you. I'll purify your heart. And you can stand boldly just like you've never sinned. That's how God deals with it. Pastor, you're a little passionate about it. I am passionate about it. Listen, I want everybody to look at me. Because the culture has lost their mind. They've lost their mind. I'm so grateful that I don't wake up every day in a new world. I wake up in God's world. I wake up with God's perspective. I wake up. This is life. This is right. This is wrong. This is what God says. This is the Holy Spirit is witnessing in my spirit. This is what God's revealed word says. And there's a confidence. Not arrogance, but a confidence. Confidence. God is with us. God is speaking to us. What's the posture of false wisdom? But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, bitter envy, look at verse 16. What's the ultimate outcome for where envy and self-seeking exist? Confusion. And every evil thing, confused. Live life apart from God, you live confused. Confused. What's the meaning of life? I just get enough toys, just do whatever I want to do, have sensual escapades and just kind of, and that's it. And, and just, No, no, no. No, it's more than that. It's not that. It's, it's God and loving God and, and, and knowing that, this, by the way, this life is temporary. This life is only preparation for the next. And you live forever with God if you know Christ. It's, it's, it's what, it's, you please hear me. Hear what, I'm, I'm closing with this one. Living from man's perspective results in confusion. Living from God's is peace and hope and joy. Peace and hope and joy. And let me tell you, let me tell you what I'm not saying. I'm not saying if you serve Christ, you never go through problems. Oh, man, I, I've got all kinds. But let me tell you something, and you do too. But you have peace when you go through them. You have wisdom when you go through them. You have God's perspective. God's perspective. So it's a choice. Which way do you want to live life? Earthly, sensual, or demonic? That's earthly or God's wisdom. God, I thank you that you love me. You care about me. Jesus, that you died on the cross for me to forgive me, to cleanse me. I'm not pushing you out, God. I'm bringing you in. Lord, I surrender my heart to you. And then you begin to live the life, not a perfect life, but an empowered life, a forgiven life. That's the offer. 
That's the offer of the Christian life. That's the offer from Jesus. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads. Every one of our locations, those that are joining us online, I believe the Spirit of God is here. God loves you. He's not mad at you. He wants to help you. Yes, I said it. He wants to help you. The Holy Spirit is actually called the helper, the paraclete. Quit pushing God out. Quit pushing him out. If you're in this place today, any one of our locations or those that are joining us online and you're not sure about your relationship with God, you're not sure if you died today that you're ready to stand before God, I want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to surrender to Christ. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He died for you. He was buried. He rose again on the third day to give you salvation, to forgive you, to give you life and hope. Do you know Christ? Do you know that you know if you die today, you're ready to stand before God? With everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, in just a moment, the count of three, I'm going to ask for a show of hands. You say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I need the blood of Jesus to wash me, to cleanse me, and to make me new. If that's you, every one of our locations, those that are joining us online, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ. I need the blood of Jesus to wash me, to cleanse me, and to make me new. If that's you, the count of three, just lift your hand up high. One, two, three. Quickly, hold your hand up high so I can say, God bless you up top, every one of you. God bless you, sir. God bless you and you. God bless you, sir. God bless you right there. God bless you and you and you. God bless you guys. God bless you up top. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. God bless you, sir. God bless you, buddy, way up top. Yeah. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God loves you. He cares about you. He's not mad at you. He cares about you. Church family, can we pray with those that are praying the most important prayer they'll ever pray. Let's, let's just pray this prayer today. Say, Dear Jesus, I come to you today, a sinner in need of a Savior. Say this. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I let go of my past, and I turn to you. I turn to the cross. Say, Jesus, wash me with your blood. Give me a new heart, a new life, a new reason to live. I want you to say this. Say, Jesus, I take my life and I put in your hands. From this day forward, I belong to you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the sealing work of the Holy Spirit and the word of the living God taking root deep in the hearts of your people. Wow, what a powerful message today. And let me just ask you, did you make a decision to give your life to Jesus or maybe to recommit your life to Christ today? If that's you, congratulations. We really believe that that's the best decision you could ever make, that your sins are washed away, your past is in the past, and your future with Jesus starts today. It's so exciting, and we're celebrating with you as a church. And as a church, we really do want to partner with you and help you on what it means to really follow Jesus and to give you some practical next steps. So the easiest way for you to let us know that you just made that decision is if you text the word decision to the numbers 822-822, or you can click the link in the chat room. And what that allows you to do is to fill out a form and to let us know you made that decision and for us to just follow up with you and to take, help you take your next steps. We also have some hosts who are, if you're watching this live, they're willing to pray with you and to talk to you right now about what it means to, to live that life out with Jesus. Or if you have any other prayer needs, just let our hosts know and they would be honored to pray with you and to be there for you in this moment. Well, with that being said, we have two 
two more weeks of extraordinary living to go. So don't miss next week. It's week five. It's going to be amazing. I can't wait to see you back here at church next weekend. Same time, same place. We love you guys. Hope you have an awesome week and we'll see you soon.